Hey, I'm Michael Dorinda. And I'm Jake Bennett. And welcome to episode 137 of the North Meet South Web Podcast. Well, folks, the last time we did this was April 19th, 2023. It is now May 29th, 2023. So it has been over a month. It has been a month and almost two weeks since we have done our last show. And um, that's just due to the fact that, you know, life is busy these days. And so mm-hmm. we're not going to make excuses. The show must go on. And here we are. It is Memorial Day in the U.S. today. So that means we celebrated with grilling, barbecuing, and poolside parties and some parties at the parks. So that was fun. Nice. So it was a good day today. I got to play some spike ball. You, you, you play spike ball? You know what spike ball is? No. It's fun. It's like a volleyball net. Okay, so... You know those little trampolines that they have that kids can jump on? Really small ones? Yeah. yeah, Really, really small ones. Like little, little tiny ones. Imagine if you had one of those, but instead of like a trampoline net there, it was like a tennis net that was like stretched over a frame, a circular frame, but the holes were smaller. Okay. So that's the idea. It's like a a net that kind of sits on the the ground. Okay. It's stretched tight. Then you have this little yellow ball. It's about this big, maybe the size of a softball, but it's, it's like a, it's like a squishy sort of inflated volleyball sort of deal okay so you basically to start the game uh you have four players two players on you know on one side two players on the other side sort of and then the person tosses the ball up and spikes it onto that net and it bounces Mm -hmm. off of the off of that net the other team has to within three hits return it onto the net right right so they 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 you know bump it then they set the other person up then they spike it back on the net or they just spike it back immediately or they do it in two hits whatever hmm. and so you know the first team to miss the net or whatever uh loses the point and then the other team gets to serve and so it's just like it's volleyball but it's on this little circular net that's on the ground and there's no sides once it's once the ball has been served you can go anywhere around the net so you can spike any direction you want it's so fun it's a great game it's super entertaining and it's like a huge workout and uh, I don't get to play it very often anymore, but today was one of the days I did huh. and won two out of three games. So I, I considered that a victory. So it was nice. fun. Not not too bad. It looks yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. looks like a bit I'll, of fun. I was just watching yeah. a, a clip. Yeah, it is. 30, 30 seconds spike ball basics. Yeah. If you can get your hands on it, it's, uh, it's great. Um, it's literally probably one of my all-time favorite games now. I've nice. played it. I used to play it quite a bit more than I get to play it now, but uh, what's, it's a fun one. What's the yeah. other one that... We played it in um, in Louisville with the with the hacky sack, but you throw you throw them. Oh, is it bags? Yeah, yeah. the bags. What's what's that one? They call it, they call it bags or cornhole. Cornhole. Just, that's you know, fun. Yeah. Different yep. Names. Yeah. Yep. That was a bit of fun as well. That's a fun one too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. I'm not very good at that game. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it is. I just I'm not great at it. I can never get the you know never get the throw right quite right. right. So. And then you were saying we're going to try and record yeah. tomorrow because I knew that it was Memorial Day and I thought we'd we'd miss today. But you're you're off to Nashville, yeah? Because oh, you said you yeah, said I think right. the last time we were recording that you'd be in Nashville a few times this this year. Yeah, yep. This is going to be the third. This will be the second time I've been in Nashville. So I went earlier in the year uh, to like some arm tech conference that's like uh, to do with sort of what we do for my main line of business job. And, um, and so I, I gave a little talk thing there. And then this time I'm just going as a person who's going to be listening in. So this is the Dave Ramsey entree leadership summit. <laughs> so they have some cool, like leadership speakers there and stuff. So work sending me to that one. And then of course we have Laracon in Nashville, uh, in July, hmm. uh, oh, sorry, June, wait, June, June no, July. July, June, I can't, dang it. Which one is it? Hold on. I gotta go look now. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's July. It's July. 
It's July. Yeah. It's July. July 19th and 20th. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. July 19th and 20th. Correct. Four, yes. four months Four months before Mile Aracon. Yes. Yep. So that's, uh, so that'll be time number three. And then that'll be it. All, that'll be all the Nashvilles for this year. So three times in one year. I yeah. should know some good restaurants by the time I'm there for Laracon. So Nice. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. Sounds uh, very busy. Yeah, it was. It was a very busy day, but it was a good day. It was a good day. So what was, what was your day like? What I, are you guys working on right now? I have got my computer science hat on at the moment. Okay. Not 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 that I ever finished a, a ComSci degree or anything like that, but we had a, we're doing some stuff, re-architecting the way that we do some of our integrations. And to do that, we were going to put a whole bunch of Boolean flags onto a model. To say, you know, mm, that no, mm, okay, to, sounds like a state machine waiting not, to happen. Not a state machine, for goodness sake. <laughs> it's not. It's not Let's for tracking. Go. It's not for tracking status. Uh, this is for saying, like, a lender supports these kinds of loans. So you know, you could have commercial secured, commercial unsecured, ah, sure. consumer secured, consumer unsecured, and then novated lease, which is like a vehicle loan. I don't know if that's a if that's a thing over there or not. Um, but you guys lease cars. So what was the name of it? We call it a novated lease, but you, I think you just call it a lease over there. That's a fairly sure. yeah. We we yeah. Everyone, I think yeah. as far as I know, that's the only way people buy new cars in the US is on a lease. No, not true. <laughs> no, it's very not true. It's very. I common mean, you though. might as well. Oh, um, uh, you know, honestly, I I would have to pull my friends. I don't know many people who lease cars. Of course. I don't actually usually ask people, oh, are you leasing that car or are you <laughs> yeah, buying enough. it? I don't know that. So like, correct. But I, most of the people I know would probably buy right. uh, and, and then sell it back a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Maybe they're leasing them. I don't know. I've never leased a car. I've heard people call it fleecing a car because <laughs> it's like you're paying for something. It's yeah. a depreciating asset that you're never going to be able to sell. I mean, I don't know. It's yeah. whatever. It doesn't matter. Everybody's got their own financial situation, yeah. so it doesn't matter. But I've never leased a car. I don't maybe know a couple of people who've leased cars before. Yeah, but I've seen some of the cars that you drive, and you're buying those cars with the change you find in your couch, right? <laughs> <laughs> Me? My cars, you're, you're saying? Your Vita. You oh, often dude. affectionately refer to them as a Vita. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah, so my car that I have right now is actually a pretty decent car. Uh, I mean, it, by my standards, it's a decent mm. car. It's a 2014, so it's not anything it's new, new for sure, but it's a Honda. Yeah. It's a Honda Pilot, and so it's got like 150,000 miles on it. They they will. That's the thing, and it's like, you know, it's a good car. So uh, it's maybe someday I'll buy a new car. I don't know. Probably not. Maybe but, when the kids are yeah. older and finished college. Yeah, maybe when the kids are older. Exactly, exactly. Like, there's just too many other expenses right now, but mm-hmm. I'm taking us off topic. You have... Yeah, a lender could support one of those types or all of those types or some of those types. Um, and so we were just going to put a bunch of Boolean flags, you know, yes, no, and then we could display it in Nova and, and whatever else and then do stuff with it. But I thought, no, I'm going to put my computer science hat on. And so we went with a Bitmask field. So if you've ever used... Oh, yes. I was hoping you were going to say that. Aaron Francis has a whole thing on that, right? Yeah. So if you've if you've ever used like JSON encode, and then you can pass options. Mm-hmm. So you say like, oh, JSON decode probably is a better example. You say like JSON decode, dollar JSON, you know, wherever your string is. And then as the second argument, you can pass like JSON pretty print or yeah. JSON unescaped, you know, whatever. Um, and if you sure. want multiple of those options, then you would separate them by a pipe. So you'd have like JSON, pretty print, pipe, JSON, ah, unescaped, whatever. Okay. And so 
when you use that unary operator, that single pipe, so a double pipe is usually used for OR, but a a single pipe is a unary, it's a bitwise operator, and it basically combines those values into a single value so that when that then, so if you have, say, say JSON pretty print is the the constant is one and JSON unescaped um, characters or whatever, whatever the other flag is, is two. If you use the unary operator, so you say JSON pretty print pipe JSON the other one, the result of that will be three, right? And you would store three in a database somewhere, so in our flag, uh, in our database table. And then when you wanted to determine whether or not that record supported that particular loan type, you would say from this enum, right, where we have all of the values named, and then you can do, you know, um, a backed enum with an integer value. So we'd have consumer uh, commercial secured is one, commercial unsecured is two, consumer secured is four. So you got one, two, four, eight, sixteen. You know, however far you need to go, and then you can use a single ampersand to then determine. You know, given the value, so three, single ampersand. Um, loan type colon colon commercial secured arrow value right wrap that in parentheses triple equals and then that value again so if the the operation in the parentheses the 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 flag the total so the three ampersand one triple equals one then you know that that bit is flipped and then that evaluates true and so that that is supported if that returns uh, false it means that the bit is not flipped and so that that is an unsupported loan type. So this means, you know, we've got five known loan types now, but we might add something else in the future. We might remove something. And so we can go through and just like flip that bit for everything or add another bit at the end. Um, and that way it, give you, it gives you like an unlimited mix and match combination without having to go and add, you know, more columns to the database. You would just update the enum to say, here's another value. And then, you know, expose that using... Uh, the enum cases static function so that you can just display that in over or wherever else to say, okay, these are all the things that, that are supported. So it just means that we can quickly add that functionality to whichever models we need it. You know, we bury it in a trait saying, you know, supports, which takes the, the, the field. And then the thing that you're checking for support returns a Boolean. And we can quickly, you know, scaffold out tests for that across all the models, across everything to make sure that, you know, everything is behaving the way that we need it to do. So I suppose okay yeah I've I've got some questions and lots of lots of stuff here because I think this is a really worthwhile discussion to have. I wanted to start maybe more with a for those of you who are listening who don't have a history or a backing with some of this sort of binary placeholder values I guess. Mm-hmm. Can I can I start with that for a quick second yeah. because I think that's Do pretty it. foundational to Do kind of what we're talking about. All right. So I'm going to I'm going to let everybody know that we all in the in the modern world use a base 10 system, right? So for our normal counting every day, you have you have a a 10 to the 0 place, which is a ones place. Then you have a 10 to the 1st, 10 to the 2nd, 10 to the 3rd, 10 to the 4th. So each one of these goes up by a power of 10. So we use a base 10 system that 10 to the 0 is again the ones place so it represents one two three four five six seven eight nine and then it rolls over back to zero right and then you put a one in the ten to the first place which now becomes one zero that represents ten in our in our understanding however it's not always been that way like the babylonians for example used a base 12 system i don't know why Mm. maybe they all had six fingers i don't know i'm not sure but they used like a base 12 system 
Um, so this is not always how it's been, but it is how it is now. Well, binary is just a base two system. So instead of having base 10, it's base two. So the first place is two to the zero, which is, represents the same thing. The second one is two to the first, two to the second, two to the third, two to the fourth. So each place value goes up by a power of two. So that two to the zero, and, and then each one of these really only can have two values. You can either have a zero or a one, and then it rolls over, right? Just like you go up to nine and then you roll over back to zero. And with, with binary, you go zero, one, roll back over to zero, and then you get a, a one in the next placeholder, right? Mm -hmm. So as we're talking about this, really, because there's only two values, this is kind of how most of computing works, because there's only two values, you can either have it off or on. The reason why that's really nice is because instead of having to have 15 columns that represent on or off, what you can do is you can store those 15 values in a on or off state, and those can rep be represented by a number, a binary number. So if you only have five options you're keeping track of, you're going to have a two to the zero, two to the first, two to the second, two to the third, two to the fourth, right? And so you're going to have a zero or a one in each of those placeholders. And then what you're going to get once you put a zero or one in each of those placeholders is a number, right? So if you had zero for the first option, one for the second option, zero for the other four options, that's going to be represented by the number two. That's it. That's the number two. So as you're, as you're pulling these values out of the database, PHP has some operators that help you to be able to determine which bits of that number are flipped on or off or a zero or a one so that you can then store these values instead of, again, instead of multiple columns, you can store them in one column as a single number. It saves space. And because of these operators that you have in PHP, it makes it really easy to pull off which options are which. The other advantage that I've heard Aaron talk about, and that what you mentioned as well, right? If there are additional loan types in the future that you need to add, you don't have to add another column. You just need to say this, uh, you know, we're going to add one, two to the whatever power placeholder in here. Right? So now it's going to be a two to the fifth, which now gives me six options that I can that I can store in this value, right? Yeah. Or seven or eight or nine or 10. You don't have to create all new columns and reorder a bunch of stuff. You just say, nope, this new bit over here is going to represent another option called loan type five or loan type six, right? So that's the advantage. It's, it, it, stores these, it stores these values really efficiently. And it, lets it, it allows it to be flexible. The only thing is you kind of have to do some work on the other side when you're pulling it out of the database to cast it to these values, right? And so th those are some questions I had. Mm. So you talked about how you have enums, yeah. right? This backed enum where you're saying, okay, the first one, if you have a number one, that's represented as this one is true. If you have a number two, that's one's represented as this one is true. If you have a four, if you have an eight, if you have a 16, if you have a 32, if you have a 64, right? Each one of those are represented by those those values, I think is what you were saying, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, and, it, yeah. and it's just for... I, and a, I've never done the bitwise operators, so I'm not sure actually how that works. You'd, you'd said it, but I was I was a little bit lost on that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's base... Was it base eight? Whatever. One, two... But, but, is that right? Yeah. One, one, two, four, eight, 16. Or is it base two? Maybe you, were, you said it before. One, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. One, two, four, eight, six. Yeah. So yeah. The, the fourth spot is eight. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So you just add these anytime you need to add a new one. It goes to the end of the list, so that you know you don't really right. go back yep. and change anything because you don't know what's out there being right. used or whatever like that. But using the enum, especially if you're in PHP eight point one, you can use a backed enum, so it returns an integer, and then you've always got the values there. And if you're referencing them 
in code, you can reference, you know, the enum name, so the the case bit on the left, and then yeah. doing all your operations, you can do it with um, the 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 responding or the you know the return value, the integer on the right, integer value on the right, yeah, yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that means that you know you you get one, and you don't have two, but you have four, so you store five in the database, or you've got you know one and sixteen, so you've got seventeen in the database, and things like that, and then you can perform your operations on that and. When you when you make those operations using the bitwise operators that are available um, in PHP or in even in MySQL, it will then return you ah, MySQL. Of course, of oh, course. Cool. Cool. So you, that you know you can do too. this kind of stuff in in the database as well, and that ah, will gotcha. then that means that. you know you and can that... return things specifically that match some um, scenario that you have. You know, I only want to return the lenders that support consumer secured loans, and so you run that bitwise that operation. That I did not know. Yeah, as part of your query. Yeah. Um, and then it will return only those ones. So you can do the query. So you can query by these values. Sure. Yep. Gotcha. That was that was the other question I had. It was like, okay, so this is a really compact way to store these. Can you search or can you mm-hmm. query against the database and say, only give me uh, lenders that support loan type three, mm-hmm. right? And you're saying, yeah, you can do that. Yep. Is it pretty efficient too? Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, because it's bitwise operations. They're, you know, fundamental building blocks, I suppose, of, I mean, we're comparing integers here. And so it's very low level. It's sure. And it's yeah, exactly. Like, can you index a, a bitwise sort of field, or is it like is it just indexing an integer field, or is it a special field type? Um, in, I don't. In MySQL? Yeah, I don't know necessarily that you would do it. I don't think it necessarily is is particularly valid. Like you're not gonna you're not gonna search the database where you know the value is equal to something because that that you know because they're it's just a, a decimal, like the integer itself is a decimal representation of the bits that are flipped, you know, looking right, for, exactly. you know, where yeah. this field is equal to five, you know, I mean, a smaller number yeah. is probably a bit yeah. bit easier to, you know, okay, it's one one and four, you know, so that, that's right. But as you get to the bigger numbers, it's harder to kind of tell, you know, what the what the makeup of that is unless you actually run the, the bitwise operation. So I don't, I don't think typically you would do that i'm just yeah, looking. the only instance i can think of is like if i have a person who's coming in for a, a car loan right and they mm. want to lease a car i want to return all the lenders that have this lease loan available right and so if for me it would make sense that i would say like i want to query for all the lenders that have this loan type mm-hmm. and so i mean the good news is you're probably not dealing with thousands and thousands of lenders you're probably dealing with some tens or hundreds yeah, maybe hundreds at most yeah right so yeah, yeah, so it's not necessarily like super important that you have that all, you know, queryable really quickly. Yeah. But I was just curious if there's a way that MySQL could. And the thing is, really, for for a computer, like it doesn't see it as sixteen. It doesn't see it as seventeen. It sees it as one zero zero one or one zero 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 one. Right. Yeah. Whatever. What whatever the binary. It. So like for it, yeah. Right. Exactly. So for it, it's not necessarily like oh, I have to. I can't. If a bigger number is more difficult, it probably isn't. Mm. It just—I'm just curious, like if it can index on those sort of bits. Yeah. I don't know if it can so or not. So I'm gonna—I'm gonna—I would be—I'm gonna quote from Aaron's article because it's more succinct than what I would have said. Let's hear it. But he says, yeah. on the database side, it's important to know that MySQL or any other database can't apply any helpful indexes to bitmask columns because you're querying against ah. a part of the column, not the value yeah, in the column itself. Sense. So you could set up indexes on individual hot bits as part of a functional key. But that doesn't necessarily get any oh, any further yeah. along as well because Bitmask can have a huge number of combinations. So it makes it extremely difficult to have any generic indexes on them. Because yeah, as I said, you know, that makes sense. In, in smaller values, you know, five, well, it's 
five is going to be, you know, a combination of bit one and bit four um, or bit, bit one and bit two, actually. So, but, you know, when you get to larger numbers, you don't know what combination of bits make up, you know, 128 or, or whatever. So that's, that's something to keep in mind. But it just means that, you know, this is sort of, quotes, infinitely scalable up to, you know, whatever the, if you're using an unsigned integer, it's, you know, 65,000 or, or whatever it is that, that you can put in there. Oh, dang. Sure. You know, is the biggest number that you can, now, you know, your mileage may vary. This is not necessarily the approach for everything, but when you've got a reasonable size number of flags that you can set where you're trying to store a number of options that are, you know, enabled or disabled and like I was like I was getting at before with PHP 8.1 and the the native enums, it makes it extremely simple to kind of build out a UI for that as well. In terms of, you know, you can do enum colon colon cases, and that will give you an array that you can iterate through with the name on the left, and then you know yeah. you can do the the bitwise operation to determine if that bit is flipped on or off, and then you know display a checkbox yeah. yes or no kind of thing, um, and then you know set the values if you need to post that back, and then update the database. So. Yeah, rather rather than having, you know, in our instance, five or in other scenarios, 15 or 30 or 100 columns, you know, you can see how that kind of gets out of hand a bit as you as you start to grow the number of possible values there and the combinations of those values. Yes, it, it might be a bit easier in terms of, you know, building out a UI because you don't have to deal with bitwise operations. You don't have to deal with all that kind of stuff, um, which which can be seen as a disadvantage if you if you don't come to it often or you know, if you're not familiar with the functionality itself. But in terms of storing that stuff, being able to quickly operate on it and identify, you know, is this or is this not a feature of this this value, that makes it really quite simple. So it's one one approach. Yeah, that's like interesting. When when I saw that we were trying to add five different columns, I was thinking, you know, there are other parts of the code base where we have added fields like lender prefixed fields. So in our, some of our lenders require a mm. specific set of data that we don't capture in our platform in a generic way. And until we sure. have an overview of say like 10 lenders that all ask for the same data for us to then be able to normalize it into our You're own data structure. The main one. Sure. So yeah, what, what we had previously been doing is having like lender underscore name underscore field, you know, and, and then storing that in the sure. database. Now we've, now that we've, done a, a few of these integrations we've kind of taken a new approach to that and we just store everything in like a json blob in like a lender json blob uh-huh. and then that is then keyed by the lender's name and then that is just whatever key value pairs we want to put in there and then we wrap that up inside of a, a dto effectively that we resolve using laravel's attributes accesses and mutators to say okay suck out the the json object throw it at this DTO, hydrate it as an object. And that way, you know, you've got the auto completion and things like that in in your IDE to say, okay, well, when I'm looking at... And does that change based on the lender too? Yeah. That DTO then changes based on the lender as well, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you get typing all the way through. So if you say like loan arrow lender arrow, and then, you know, your IDE is going to give you a drop down of all the different lender names. And then if you go to, you know, lender A, it will show you all the fields for lender A because it knows through that hierarchy of... Um, of DTOs, you know, okay, this lender A has fields, field A, field B, field C, and lender B has fields, you know, field D, field E, field F, 
And so you get all of that kind of functionality there. You you know, if they're enums, you know that you'll be able to access those enums directly and things like that. And it gives us the ability to kind of target individual fields within that context as well. And the other nice thing that I had discovered, and for anyone that's that's probably used the new attribute syntax, it will also pass as the second parameter of the get and set callbacks, the array of attributes for that model. So there are some scenarios where we have lender-specific fields, and in other scenarios, there is like a lender-specific field, but it's actually mapped from another field in the database that is actually a little bit more generic. So we can map onto our lender-specific object a value from another column in, in, that, in that record. And so we don't have to worry about... And are you, like, and are you doing that inside of the attribute or the, the accessor? Yeah. yeah, so inside of that DTO, we go, okay, we pass the, the lender field for that lender's key. So in that in that scenario, just the rest of the model. And then we pass the rest of the attributes excluding that lender key, right? And so we can just pluck things out of there. You know, we want um okay. instead gotcha. of like dollar lender lender specific field, we then grab dollar parameters and then, you know, some other field mm-hmm. from from that from that record. So um and then I did some very evil things <laughs> using reflection to kind of Basically, the only thing we have defined on these DTOs are public properties that are mapped to, yeah. you know, specific DTO that implements public read-only properties. Yep, that they um, on the final class. <laughs> we're we're using sparsity DTOs at the moment. Um, we're we're coming to okay. this realization that some things that we're doing as DTOs, we can start sort of using native, like especially now that we're on PHP eight point two, using native read-only classes. Because we just want to be able to yeah. access these things in a way that is typed, where we get that completion, but we also get the the safety that that provides us. That you know the, the fields are going to be there. Yeah. And uh, the thing that we're right. m- moving away from is like with array keys, you're prone to typos because you don't know unless you sit there yeah, and correct like a schlub type out you know the the doc blocks to say like this is the shape of the array that's in here. Yeah, you know, so you're just saying by assigning read-only properties, then you get the type hinting and all that stuff. Yeah, the type hinting. So right? it's like we know that there's this do... integer and we know that there's this yeah. string and we know that there's this enum and you don't... And you know, because it's read-only, you don't have to worry about it changing out from underneath you. So you don't have to do the stupid getter setter stuff you used right. to have to do. You just yep. set it in the constructor or whatever and then there you go. Yeah, and and we know, you know, you don't have to worry about, like I said, with the array keys, you, you can end up in with typos because yep. you can't, you know, directly reference keys inside of an array. Because your right, your yeah. you know your editor doesn't know what's in there, whereas with the with the the objects, you know, you tab through the list, you hit enter, and it auto completes, and off you go. You know, you, you kind of right. mitigate yep. against those those issues. So yeah, it's been um yeah. So we we use reflection to basically define public object blah right on there, and so we can reflect through in the constructor. You know, find me all the public properties that implement this interface and then instantiate that object passing the things through. Um, and then we map like from the array, the, the, the property name. So the property name is lender A. Mm-hmm. So we go and look through mm-hmm. that lender column in the database for a property called lender A, take those values and then construct the object with that. So, you know, we don't end up with duplication having to resolve the object and, you know, all of the, the net, you know, the, um, hierarchical tree through, we can do all of that with a little bit of reflection magic, which I was particularly proud of. 
Did you guys ever consider doing like polymorphic uh, tables or relationships on any of those? So you have like, you know, your base table and then you have like a type that it, you know, will morph to yeah. sort of deal. So you get the, you get all the properties of the parent class, but then you have a, you know, essentially a check like a child yeah. object almost that has its own defined values. We, we did. I think the, the main reason we didn't do that was because we don't know what fields are available and we didn't want to have like, loan underscore lender underscore you know whatever like those because then we would have one whole table for each lender for each resource Mm -hmm. and so we wanted to avoid that scenario um we don't ever need to search by the fields that are in the json object right so we just need to go like we need to be able to set them and we need to be able to display them yeah yeah right and so setting them is a one-time operation you just go like loan arrow lender arrow you know whatever and that will get set that way or we want to display them in the UI so you can see what you've previously entered. And then we want to submit it. And we we do that, you know, there's a whole process around submitting an application, um, hydrating DTOs that then get serialized to an array or to JSON or to whatever to then get sent. And so, you know, it's not like we're ever searching by loan where lender dot lender a dot field equals, you know, we don't ever have to do that. We we can, you know, if we really wanted to, we've got JSON. Because it's all just stored sure. as JSON in the database, and and MySQL yeah, right. now yeah. and MariaDB and and Postgres, they all support JSON operations on, you know, JSON columns. You can do that kind of stuff, but like we don't really ever have a need for it. And because we never really have a need for searching for any of this stuff, you know, that kind of points us down the road of no, we don't need to, you know, use polymorphism in the database to kind of have a table for each lender for each resource, and we don't want to have like all of these fields because it's very, I mean, I saw this a while ago, but we, we went down this approach because it was just like the quickest way to get it out. But it's, it's easy to see how you're going to end up with lots of duplication of these fields. But not only that, but you can see like if we need to add 10 fields for this lender and 10 fields for this lender and 10 fields, you know, and we've got 30 lenders and each has got 10 fields. Suddenly you've got a database that's got 300 miscellaneous columns in there, right? And you're only going to have values against the fields that you are submitting for, right? So where now we would have like lender A, lender B, lender C, well, B and C are just going to be null because we're not submitting to lender B and C, but lender A is going to have all of its specific stuff and it's all going to be in that one object and in that one field in the database. So it means that we don't have 290 null fields in the database in a table for you know 29 other lenders because yeah. you know we're not submitting to that lender so we don't capture that information right so you don't so so that would be if you kept all the all the columns in the same table right if you kept all the columns in the same table then yeah. you can have all those null values yeah which the is what we're currently of, doing. so okay and then so the other thing that we had said was polymorphism where like you have a a main table that contains all of the common row mm-hmm. you know columns and then you have all the non-common columns defined in in their own array or sorry, in their own tables. And for you, you're saying, well, we also don't want to have a million migrations. We have to run every single time we're, you know, doing testing and all that stuff. Is that the other item on that? Okay. So so that's the other disadvantage. So then the solution you settled on is to say, Hey, let's just do this schemaless JSON column essentially, right? Which allows us to just have a blob location. We can chuck all this stuff. And the only thing that I've found with those that is a little bit scary is it's schemaless. Right. So you have to have some place where you're, you don't have to, 
have some place where you're enforcing that. But it's it's a little bit scary if you if you don't because if you're ever relying on any of those fields, it's um you know it's a bit of a crapshoot as to whether or not they're going to yeah. be there. Whereas like if you have a defined migration that has hey here's the most recent list, you can guarantee it's going to be there. So I guess some of that problem you're solving with your DTOs, right? Where you're saying, well, we have this solid defined schema, uh, you yep. know, object that we're going to pull out of this. I guess my one other question on this would be when you do migrations. So do you do migrations? Like if you say, I need to add this new column, not column. I need to add this new attribute to this JSON Mm -hmm. value, this JSON object blob for all of the records that are for this lender type. Mm -hmm. Do you do that? Or do you not do that? Or do you just say, well, when I'm constructing the DTO, I allow for that. And then I just say it's going to be a null value. Yeah. Yeah. Effectively, all of these DTOs are null objects by default. Okay. So that means that every property is defined with a type, but it's also defined as nullable. So it's like question mark, string, question mark, int, whatever. So if there is no corresponding value in the database, it will just be null. It doesn't matter. Right. And so it doesn't matter. So we, we get that implicit schema from the DTOs as you say and that gives us the structure to make sure that like what's in there the the thing that we have to be careful of obviously is removing like we can't really remove a field because if we remove a field and then we update a record it will die for historical data it's probably more relevant you know if you if you have a loan that was submitted three months ago and you remove a field and then you edit that loan and that that value then disappears. So we would probably never remove fields uh, for old ones, you know, because we don't want to delete. Like, so the DTO data. will only ever grow in size. It won't ever like shrink. You won't ever be able yeah. to like remove values because they're probably they're historical. There's in there somewhere. Right. So you kind of have to continue to maintain that. Yeah. And, and the reason we're doing this is because different lenders have different needs. They might ask for similar information in a different way. Totally makes sense. You know, we yeah. might, might ask gonna, for industry, gonna... right? So one lender may, three lenders may ask for industry. Two of those lenders may ask for it. There's like a, a, a standard that defines like the codes for what industries are. But a third one might have a subset of those fields or it might have like groupings. So there's like 300 industries, but they've grouped it down to 25 of the groups. And so that lender is using yeah. that. So we can't, you know, but we might find, okay, we can do this mapping ourselves. We look at all of our lenders and say, okay, what is the common thing with all of them? Okay, let's store it here. We might do some mapping between like what we've defined as the normalized way and and the specific lender so that we can then do it that way. Or we might find, okay, all of the lenders are asking for this information in the exact same way. Let's put that value onto the parent model. And then when we hydrate the resource, Rather than pulling out from the lender specific field, we're going to pull it from you know that second parameter that I talked about sure, ages yep. ago, right? We'll pull it from the model itself, from the parameters, rather than the lender specific stuff, and that way, you know, we get that that roll forward onto our normalized data. Yeah, and then I suppose for all of the historical ones, you would almost have to like go back and push those values from the json into the into the new column maybe i mean yeah. maybe you do or maybe there's a different path i'm not exactly sure how you do that it seems like you'd have to yeah i mean push for all any, those values from the json yeah for, for any loan that's been submitted we wouldn't you know it's only the in-flight stuff that you know you've started an application but we've made the change and then you know i mean lending can be a like multi-day 
maybe even multi-week process. So you might start an uh-huh. application, fill out some of it. You know, you have to go and get some additional documentation from your accountant or something like that. You know, come back and fill out some more. And so if your if your loan was still in flight, we might go and you know change the value. We we do the mapping ourselves anyway onto the new column and then pull that back out so that you know when you come back to it, you don't have to re-enter that information. So it yeah, gives us sure. a, a good bit of durability, scalability, a bit of future proofing, a bit of structure. You know, it, as you said. It, it's it's not really just some arbitrary JSON in the database. It has to map to something, you know, in in a in a DTO, and so we we kind of handle all of that stuff in this way. So I, I think it's um it's a nice pattern to consider. Laravel makes it fairly simple with the the attribute um, eloquent attribute stuff, um, and you kind of get the best of both worlds in terms of structure and structureless you know schemaless kind of stuff in there yeah um, and it's and it's yeah, it just used to be that it's just it's so that we can support everything right now and then you know in six months once we have all of our integrations done or 12 months months or whenever we can then go back and look at a cross-section of everything for all of the lenders and go okay this is the same for this field in all of these lenders let's go and slop it all up into a field remap it back onto the DTO and then that's done, you know? And so that's, that's kind of where we're at with, with this approach. Yeah, no, I feel like that makes good sense. And I said, like I was saying, or I was going to say earlier, I think we're going to be running into the same problem uh, coming up soon. And I was, we were sort of debating the merits of each of the con of the different approaches we've talked mm-hmm. about here. So this is, this is really helpful. Good. Now so. you've got some ammunition. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So this is good. Awesome. Well, we are at 38 minutes right now, and my battery is about to die uh, because I haven't plugged it in all day. So I am going to let you go, my friend, and we are going to meet back up here next week for the Laravel News Podcast. Thanks, everybody, so much for hanging out with us. This has been episode 137. The date today is May 29th. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you'd like to find show notes for this episode, you can find them at northmeetsouth.audio. Is that right? I'm going to get it right. Yeah. Northmeetsouth.audio slash 137. Uh, we would appreciate it if you'd rate us up in your podcatcher of choice. That'd be amazing. And reach out to us on Twitter if you have any questions or comments at Michael Dwinda, at Jacob Bennett, or at North South Audio. All right, folks. Until next time. See you. Bye-bye.